We now have the uh, privilege to open God's word and read from it. <clears throat> and we pray that God will bless us as readers and hearers and Joel as he brings the message to us. <clears throat> and we're reading from Hebrews 10, from verse 19. <clears throat> Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart, in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So far this reading. Awesome. Thanks, Jim. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, for those who don't know me, my name is Joel. And... Um, I don't know, I just, whenever I see this space, I feel like I need a dance or break dance or something. And no one wants to see that. So if you don't mind, like, maybe pick up your chair, move a bit closer. Um, I feel like we're really spread out, which is good for our jetty jumping. But um, I'm feeling a bit far away. So move in. I need to get these. Fantastic. So yeah, obviously this morning's been a little bit different. Um, but I think it's like, it's so important. Like, for those of you who have been here before, I don't know about you, but sometimes you can walk down that hallway and you walk in and it's sort of like, you can just go autopilot. You know, every Sunday morning, you just go on autopilot, you just walk down the hallway, you open up church, you find your regular seat, and you sit down. But when things are different, all of a sudden, you know, you've got to, you go, oh, great. Yeah, some of you might have gone, oh, great, like, look at this. Some of you would have been like, oh, great, like, look at this. And, but automatically, you're off autopilot. And I think heading into this new year, that's one of the things that, God really sort of spoke to me this morning as we're singing and, that, and as we're preparing that like, we're not just going to go through 2019 going through the motions. We're not just going to go through this year on autopilot just the same as last year because in God's word he says in Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing. A new thing. That, that God can do something new in your life, something different to what he did last year because that's how grand and how great God is, that he can still do something new whether you've known him for a month or a day or for 10 years, 20 years, 70 years, no matter how long you've known God, he can do something new. And so that's why I'm excited about a new year. Not because there's a new opportunity, you know, New Year's resolutions and all that sort of stuff, because it's a new opportunity, I believe, for God to do something new in our lives and in our church. And um, that's why I'm excited. So... Um, and that's really what we've been talking about. Um, we've been looking at Hebrews 10. We started last week. We talked about drawing near to God. Today we're going to look at the next part of the 
verse in terms of holding fast. And then next week we're going to look at stirring up. And um, as I, you know, we talked about last week how one of the concerns that the writer of Hebrews has is that we have this tendency to drift away. We have a tendency to drift away from God and what's important. And therefore, there's an invitation for us to draw near. Um, This morning, the concern of Hebrews is that we have a tendency to fall away. And therefore, we are invited to hold fast. Um, As I was thinking, you know, it's a classic movie scene. I think, you know, I found that photo because I thought it was kind of funny. You can't really see it. There's a little squirrel that's scaring him, even though he's holding off the edge. Um, I don't know if it's Photoshop or real, but I don't know. It's a cool photo. Um, Anyway, you know the movie scene, yeah? Where, like, it's like halfway through the movie, your hero's, you know, in the conflict with the villain, and then all of a sudden they have, like, the mini fight, and he's about to fall off the edge, and he miraculously sort of grabs hold onto something. Yeah, like, you can picture, like, one of the movies, like, the one of thousands of movies that has that sort of scene. Someone falling off an edge, flowing down a river... And last ditch, they sort of reach out, grab something, and hold on. I think that's the image of this morning of like holding fast in in trouble, in struggle, in suffering. You know, what do you reach out and grab? Because here's the thing, unless that thing that you grab is strong enough, you know, you just grab it and you pull it and you continue to fall. Yeah? Yeah? If you, if you reach out, if you're flowing down the river and you reach out and grab the tree, but it's not strong enough in terms, it's like not a tree, it's just like a little weed. You grab it, you pull it, and you just keep flowing down the river. But if that thing is strong enough to actually hold you, and in fact actually rescue you and pull you up, all of a sudden, that's a totally different situation. You're saved, you're rescued, you're no longer falling. And so that's the image I have of holding fast of grabbing a hold of something that can actually pull you out of the situation that you are in and something that you can actually hold on to in the face of falling away. Because this is what uh, the writer of Hebrews says um, in Hebrews 3 verse 12. It says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be any of you on an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So that there is not just a tendency for us to drift away, but there's also a tendency for us to actually fall away. That there are things in life that begin to drag us away from God. Tough times of testing, trial, tribulation, and so many things that go on in our lives that we can actually lead us to fall away. And may instead, instead of falling away, may we hold fast. The, the term hold fast in our, in our text, it literally means to tie down. Literally means to be secure, to not let go. And so really the big question this morning is what do you grab a hold of? What do you reach out to when you're falling? Is it friends or family you know, the people around you that you think they will just get me through this tough time? Is it logic or reason that you'll just figure it out? You know, I'll figure out my way through this challenging season. Maybe it's just pleasure. If things are going wrong, look, the world's burning. I'm just going to have fun while I'm here. I'm just going to have pleasure and just do whatever I want. It's all bad anyway. Is it that? Or do we just detach ourselves? Maybe that's your coping mechanism. You just detach. 
I'm just not going to let it affect me. I'm not going to feel anything. I'm just going to go through life and not let it bother me. Maybe it's independence. You know, I'll, I'll pull my own way out of this mess. I'll figure it out myself. I'm strong enough. Uh, I can do this myself. Maybe it's money or security. You know, all these different things. What do you reach out and grab when life starts to get hard, when the struggle comes? And really what the Bible teaches and what I believe is that unless the thing that we reach out and grab, unless that is God, nothing else is strong enough to hold on to forever. Through all the trials, through all the struggle, that's the one thing that we can have that offers a satisfying living hope that can last all of our days. So that's what we want to look at this morning. So Hebrews 10, verse 23, it's there, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We're going to break down this verse and have a look. Firstly, confession. What does confession mean? Confession is a common acknowledgement, a common agreement. So it's our confession. It's not my confession. It's not just what I think is right or what I wish for or what I hope for. But there is a common agreement amongst God's people of what hope is about. And so to understand what hope is, what this common confession is, we need to look at the other verses in Hebrews that mention hope. Yeah, if we're trying to understand what this author is meaning when he says the word hope, we look at the other verses. So it's really easy. You can go on any Bible app on a website. You just type in hope. You select Hebrews, and it comes up with four other verses, which are going to be on the screen. Oh, they're small. You'll be right. Hebrews 3 verse 6, it says, But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast, same word again, hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So what does this verse say about hope? That hope is linked to confidence. That there's a boasting. There's a confidence in hope. Now, this should be like number one wake-up call for us because here's the thing. Hope is not wishful thinking. It's not just this airy-fairy idea that might come true one day. It's not just positive thinking that like maybe this will happen. No, this hope that the writer of Hebrews is talking about is a confidence. A confidence that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he said he will do. And therefore, we can hold fast to that. So number one thing to note about hope is that it's linked to confidence. Hebrews 6 verse 11, it says this, and we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness and to have the, same, the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So this verse links hope and puts it against sluggishness. That if we have hope, we may not be sluggish. You know, this verse hit me when I read it. Because, you know, I've been, I'll be honest, I've been pre- pretty discontent with my own faith in the last sort of six months. I felt like I'm not quite hitting it. Like, this isn't quite it. And I think one of the reflections I had while I was away is that I've been sluggish. I've been lazy. I've been sort of just going through the motions a bit. And I was like, this verse is like, 
If we have hope, a confidence of something better ahead, then no longer are we sluggish. What if one of the reasons that, particularly in the West, that we are so sluggish in our faith, so sort of blasé about religion and, and following Jesus, is because we think we've got it pretty good already. We feel like we don't need anything better because life is pretty good as it is. And it's until we recognize that Jesus has something better in store for us, there's a better hope ahead, when we recognize that and have confidence in that, all of a sudden the sluggishness begins to wear away. So maybe for some of us this morning that is key, that we actually believe that Jesus has something better ahead. Later on in Hebrews 6 and verse 18, it says this, We who have fled from ref- for refuge, we might have strong encouragement once again to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. We're going to look at this verse in much more detail soon. But for now, you know, we need to recognize that It's when we flee for refuge, we find encouragement in hope. For some of you, you might be running from some of the struggles in your life. You might be trying to figure out, how do I deal with some of these things going on? Maybe you're looking for that refuge, for that safety. My prayer is that this morning that you'll find encouragement in hope. That you'd have, recognize a sure and a steadfast anchor. Something that we can grab a hold of. And the last verse is Hebrews seven nineteen, for it says, For the law made nothing perfect, but on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. Once again, a better hope, that there is something better ahead, and through that, we can draw near to God, which is what we talked about last week. And when we recognize that there is a better hope ahead, well, that actually enables us to draw near to God, because we recognize that there's something better there with Him. So... When we're talking about hope then, what is our hope? Well, like we talked about last week, our text in Hebrews 19, it starts off the same way. It says, therefore, since we have confidence, since we have a confidence that Jesus has done the work on the cross, and since we have a great priest, since we have Jesus who stands in the gap for us, like we talked about last week, since we have those things, therefore... One, we draw near. Two, we hold fast. It's the same reason behind it all. That Jesus has done the work on the cross. And that is our hope. That when we look back, when we look back and see what God has done through Jesus, that we actually get a clearer picture of what's ahead for us. So we're going to dive into that. Once again, Hebrews 6, 18. We're going to land on this verse and talk about it a bit more. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, which is a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone on a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What does that mean? I don't know about you, but like sometimes you read that and you just go, what the heck? Who is Melchizedek? Hands up if you know who Melchizedek is. All right. You all got homework then, the rest of you. I'm not going to tell you because <laughs> read Hebrews 8 and 9 and Genesis, I think it's about 16, 17. Abraham meets Melchizedek. He was the first sort of priest, the first person who 
interceded for God in on behalf of God on behalf of the people before God. But what we have in this verse is similar language to what we talked about last week that that Jesus he enters into the inner place on our behalf. The inner place is once again that language for the holy place. It was where the presence of God was. It was where one person one day a year would go to offer a sacrifice of atonement. So the presence of God was restricted to one person one day a year where they would go and offer and ask for forgiveness for God's people. And it was a temporary thing. It was something that needed to be repeated each year. And what Hebrews teaches is that Jesus has gone into that place on our behalf, offering a sacrifice that is now permanent, that he's done all the work, that we now have through the sacrifice of Jesus, through his blood, we have unlimited access to the Father all day, every day. We can draw near to him. We can live in relationship with him. And so the cross, the cross points us forward to hope because the cross shows us that God will do everything that he can do to remain true to his covenant, to remain true to his promise. Back in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17, God reveals a promise, a covenant to Abraham. And essentially, the promise is this. I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham's of old age, in his 80s, and he's got no kids. And God says to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you. And through you, you'll be a blessing to the nations. And he says later on in chapter 17 that I will be your God. You will be my people. That's what God says to Abraham, that I'll be your God. You'll be my people. He makes a promise to do that. Now, when you look at the people that came after Abraham, you look at his descendants, they did everything that they could pretty much to do the opposite. They neglected God. They disobeyed God. They, they, they pushed God away. And yet God kept doing everything that he could do to draw them back, to be their God so that they could be his people, eventually, ultimately, through the cross. The cross is the ultimate sign that God has promised to be our God and we can be his people. The cross shows us that, that God is faithful to his covenant. And he's not going to let anything get in the way of being our God and us being his people. Paul writes in Romans 8, one of my favorite verses, says this, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. And it can be like a hard verse to understand because it doesn't read that well in English. Like, if anyone talks like that, you sort of, I don't understand what they're saying. So you need to like read it carefully where it says, God, who did not, like God gave up his son and he gave him up for us all. How will he, if he did that, will he not also do everything else? That's essentially what Paul's saying. If God sent his son to die on a cross for our sin, if he did that, will he not also do everything else to remain true to his covenant, to be our God and to, we can be his people? Like that's a promise to hold on to. If God has done it all on the cross, will he not also do everything else 
so that we can hold fast to him. Like that is our hope. That is our hope, that God has done so much and he will do everything else to remain true to what he said, that he will be our God, we will be his people. I mean, if you've got your Bibles, I just wanted to read the rest of that passage in Romans 8 with us. It'll be on the screen as well. Romans 8 from 31. Like, if you want to know the promises of God, like, read Romans 8 this week. Like, it is full of, like, just amazing truth. Paul writes about the life that we have in the Spirit. He says how we're children and now heirs with Christ. He talks about the future and what's going to happen. And then in this, in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? Like, what's our response? And he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, who will there, who's there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was raised, and he is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. He's our great priest. And then these verses, from which are pretty popular, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, as it is written for your sake we have been killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him, who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is our hope. That God has sent his Son and that nothing can separate us from him. That when we turn to him, when we believe in Him, when we accept Him as our King, we become heirs to a promise that God says, I will be your God, you will be my people, and nothing will change that. So therefore, we can hold fast. Now here's the thing, it's often hard to do because God works in ways that we don't often understand. Once again, look at the life of Jesus and look at the cross. Everyone was expecting a, a king to come and lead God's people. They were expecting a Messiah. They were expecting a king. And what does, Je- what does God send? A baby in a manger, in a stable, running for his life. When everyone's expecting a king in a palace. Learning the ways of war and politic and here's Jesus learning his father's trait everyone expects a king who will be with the righteous influencing the influencers leading our people against the oppressors of the Romans and what is Jesus doing he's hanging out with the sinners the outcasts those who don't fit in when Jesus comes to Jerusalem People are expecting a king riding a horse ready for battle. And Jesus comes on a donkey in peace 
about to be violently assaulted by the soldiers of Rome. Everyone's expecting a king to lead them into battle, to overthrow the Romans, and Jesus comes and he lays down his life. He surrenders. A loving sacrifice on a cross, and it's through that that he defeats sin, death, and evil. See, that's why so many people in the time of Jesus struggled to believe that he was the Messiah, that he was the promised one, because it was not what they expected. And so maybe, if that was true then, if God worked in a way that was unexpected, maybe it's also true in our lives, that even though we can't see God working, even though we can't see Him clearly doing what we expect Him to do, maybe the truth is, actually definitely the truth is, (laughs) that God is working in ways that we cannot see. And we need to trust and hold on to Him. Maybe, and and because it comes hard, we're talking, we're going to talk about God's promises in a moment. And the reason that's hard to hold on to is because our natural eyes work better than our faith eyes. The way that we see the world, you know, it works better than our spiritual lens, our faith lens. You know, it's the story of Elisha when he's with the king. The king's getting worried because they're surrounded by an army, an army that far outnumbers theirs. And he's freaking out and goes to Elisha. He's like, Elisha, what did we do? And Elisha's calm and he's relaxed. And what does he say? You, you don't see. And he prays that God would open his eyes. And then he opens his eyes and he sees the angel armies all around the natural people army, the enemies of their life. I just think for some of us, that's what we need this morning is we need our faith eyes opened again to actually believe that God is doing something even if we cannot see it. Romans 8, once again, in verse 28, it says, For all things work together for the good of those who love Him. All things, not just some things, but all things work together for the good of those who love Him. Either we believe that or we don't. And if we believe that, then we need to hold on to that, even if we don't quite see it yet. Because we need to trust that God is working, and that God will work, and we need to hold on to the end. And the cross is the greatest example of that. Michael Horton, a theologian, he says this, that at the moment of the greatest injustice, when God seemed to be most hidden and absent, God was most active and victorious. That is the truth of the cross. That is why we can have hope when we look to it because it seemed like God had lost. It seemed like God... How many of the disciples were celebrating when Jesus died on the cross? Or on the Saturday were like so excited? No, they scattered. They they ran away. They had no idea. Like they thought, this is it. It's over. Done. What do we do now? When God seemed absent, when God seemed hidden... In the moment of the greatest injustice that the world could ever commit, it was actually in that moment that God was active and victorious. And if it's just true then, maybe it's just true now as well in your life. So may we hold on, may we hold fast, as the verse says, without wavering. Now that seems a bit ambitious, doesn't it? 
without wavering. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if we could just go through 2019 just without wavering? Like, it's almost like the writer just throws it in. You know, just hold on fast without wavering. It's like, it's not that hard. You can just do this. No. You see, the reality is, is when you're in the boat, the waves will rock you. The trees, they sway in the wind. And this verse does not... It, the, it's a weird word because the only time this word appears in the Bible doesn't appear anywhere else. It appears other places in Greek writings of the time. But it's a compound word. It means, it's the word alpha, which means no or un, and the word klino, which means to yield or to bend. So the word actually means unyielding, unbending, not bending. Unbending? Not bending. I don't know. It means that we won't surrender, that we won't give up that we won't sort of bow our knee to the things around us, that we won't give up, we won't yield to the things around us, that even though the winds blow, even though the storms come, that we're not yielding, we're not giving up, we're holding fast because we know, we believe that Jesus is greater. Because I think often we begin to get discouraged when we when our feet begin to rock, when, you know, the boat begins to sort of shake a bit, we, 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 get, we get discouraged. But I think the reality is the trees will blow, the boat will rock, but we do not yield, we do not give up, we do not bow our knee to anything else, but we trust that our king is the captain of the ship, that he's got this sorted that he's the one who's going to take us all the way home. So our encouragement is to dig our roots deeper. You know, the strength of a tree, you know, you, you can go through the Dandongs, there's really tall trees, and the branches don't look that strong, the trunks don't look that big compared to other trees, but they're still standing because the roots are deep. And I think that's my encouragement for us this morning, that we would dig our roots deeper that would make sure our foundations are strong enough to last through the storms of life. Because there is a better hope, that we have a sure and a steadfast anchor to hold on to. And here's the thing, why is holding on so important? Why are we hammering home on this? Because spiritual maturity is a long-term project. The fo- following Jesus is, is, is a long path. It's not, a, it's not a short sprint, it's a marathon. You know, some of you would know the parable of the sower. You know, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. When it's in multiple Gospels, it means it's an important story. And Jesus tells a story about the Word of God that falls onto four different types of ground. The first one falls onto the path where the bird comes, and that's a sign of the enemy who takes away the Word of God. But the middle two are super important for us. The, f- the second one, the rocky ground, it's a sign of those who, it says in Luke 8, it says those who believe at first, but it does not take root. It does not dig deep. And when the tri- time of testing comes, it falls away. But the time of testing, the time of struggle, 
that actually some of us may fall away. The third one, the, the rock, the, the thorny ground. The thorny ground is the, the seed that actually it takes root, it starts growing, but then it drifts away. It gets choked by the cares, the riches, and the pleasures of this world. So that the bad things can lead us away from God, but also the good things can lead us away from God. But what about the fourth one, the good soil? It says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart, those who hear the word, who retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. By persevering, by holding on to the end, by enduring through the testing, by enduring through the temptations, we hold on to God. That spiritual maturity for us is a long-term project. Following Jesus is not just about today and this moment, but it's about building a faith that can last to the end. And that might be something you need to think about for yourself. That might be something you need to think about for the people that you are leading and that you are helping. It's not just about, you know, our kids that they know faith now, but we want them to have a faith that will last to the end. And the thing is, the reason that's hard, our culture is a complete opposite. We are not a long-term culture. We are short, instantaneous, you know, we're the microwave generation. You know, you open up a packet, it says you can put it in the oven for 30 minutes or you can put it in the microwave for five. I mean, how many of you are choosing the oven option? Like, no, you go to the microwave. And even when you put it in the microwave, it gets to 4 minutes 50 and you press stop. Like, you can't even wait the whole five minutes. Yeah? Who's guilty of that? I, like, I cannot wait for that. We don't like long term. We're more T20 than test match. You know, how, the big bash. How good is the big bash? How boring is the test match at times? Especially when Australia is terrible. See, we, we're not conditioned to persevere and to endure. Just look at the Australian batsmen. They make 20 and they go out. They can't make it to 100. Look at Bajara. The guy bats for two whole days. We're not conditioned to last long. And so when our faith calls us to endure, it is a tough call. So the question is, what are you holding on to that's going to last throughout? What is your anchor And so just really quickly as we wrap up, we are encouraged to hold fast without wavering. Why? Because he who promised is faithful. That God has promised to help us through. And he is faithful to his promises. So what are some of the promises you need to know so that you can hold fast to him? I'm just going to whip through a few of them and they'll be on the screens as well. So if you want to write them down. Philippians 4, verse 5 to 7. The Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And what does he promise? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That there is a peace that goes beyond understanding in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 19. says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory, in Christ Jesus, that God will give you what you need. 2 Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
that maybe if we need to see God's power, it's like John said before, maybe we need to be willing to be vulnerable, to step out off the shore into a jetty where we might sink in the ocean, but maybe that's where we'll see God's power. 2 Thessalonians 3, But the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Not he might, not he will sometimes. He will strengthen you. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5, For we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, but so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That God will comfort you, he will draw near. So 2 Corinthians 4, some of you need to read 2 Corinthians this week. I mean, it's, half of these verses are from there. 2 Corinthians 4, it says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. That in our struggle and our suffering, God is achieving something. God is doing something. God is working something. It's not wasted. This is Paul writing, the guy who's been imprisoned, shipwrecked multiple times, you know, nearly killed. And he says, <laughs> these light and momentary afflictions. I mean, they're anything but, but he says, compared to what it's achieving for us, the glory far outweighs them all. And lastly, Revelation 21, where it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. That one day God will put an end to all the pain, all the suffering, all the struggle. And he remains true to his covenant where he says, they will be his people. I'll be their God. He said it at the start. He says it at the end. And he remains faithful to it all. That God will continue to be our God. And we will be his people. And it's not through our strength that that will happen, but it's through his strength. He's the one that we hold on to. That God is holding on. He's faithful. He'll never let you go. He's committed to his covenant. He's committed long term. And he'll give you all that you need. He'll give you comfort and grace and power and strength. He gives us armor for the battle. And eventually he'll bring a total end to all the struggle. So the big question for us this morning is, is what do you reach out for? In the times of struggle, in the times of need, what are you grabbing a hold of? What's going to hold you fast? What's going to carry you out of that situation? Do you have that sure and steadfast anchor? You know, there will be struggle. We recognize that. 2019, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be things that challenge you. There's going to be things that tempt you. And what that will do is it will reveal your foundation. It will reveal what you believe and what you trust in. 
we believe that Jesus Christ is a solid rock and all other ground is sinking sand. He's the one that we hold on to. And so for some of you, if you don't know Jesus this morning, this is my encouragement for you. In 2 Timothy says this, that if we died with him, if we're willing to die to ourselves, we also will live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. That if you reject the king, if you reject his rule and his reign, well, he will let you have your way. But if you choose to die to yourself, you choose to follow him, even if you are faithless, he remains faithful. That even if we begin to slip, even if we begin to drift, he is faithful to his covenant, for he cannot disown himself. So I encourage you this morning, if you don't know what it means to live with God, that maybe today is the start of that. Maybe today you begin asking the questions. There's people here who would love to chat with you, pray with you. Know that even if we mess up, he's the one that's faithful. He's the one where we can hold on to. And for those of you here that you say, you know what, I do know Jesus, then my encouragement for you is to dig deeper, to build your foundations so that they're ready for the storms of life, so that we can hold fast to the end that we wouldn't fall away, but instead that we can hold fast to our confession of hope, knowing that there's something better ahead, knowing that Jesus has won the victory and we can hold on to him. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite our music team up. Can we um, sing the Living Hope song? Can we do that? Um, we're going to sing this song that we sang earlier. And it's a bit new, so you know, try and follow along if you don't know it, but even if you don't know it, just ask God to sink this into your heart, that we have a living hope and that we are His forever. And may we, like, like, let's stand and let's sing that and let's really declare that and believe that in this moment.